From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Jody Owens, Managing Attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center in Jackson. Today we're talking about your rights as a driver during traffic stops and policemen's rights as well. Do police need a reason to search your car during, during a routine traffic stop? If you are detained, do you have a right to get a phone call? We'll also talk about police body cameras and if you have the right to record incidents on your phone. You can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING this morning. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back right after the news. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Jody Owens, managing attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center in Jackson. And today we are talking about your rights as a driver during traffic stops and policemen's rights as well. Do police need a reason to search your car during a routine traffic stop? If you are detained, do you have a right to receive a phone call? We'll also talk about police body cameras later in the show and if you have a right to record incidents on your phone. If you have a question or comment about any of these topics today, you can give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. How are you? Doing great, Sharita, and, and good morning, Jody. We're really, really happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Jody, uh, we can go ahead and start with you and you just give us a little information about your role at the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center. Okay. Well, at SPLC, we have a full uh, shop for civil rights in Mississippi, uh, primarily focusing on kids at risk. So we focus on juvenile justice, adult detention work, uh, education work, mental health work, uh, LGBTQ rights, and also immigrant rights. If it falls under civil rights, uh, we do a little bit of everything. And not only litigation, we do sue systems, but we also do a lot of policy work and a lot of work in the community. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to talk today, and of course this is kind of in light of some of the things that we've seen on the news uh, when it comes to police and citizen interaction. So we just kind of want to give some clarity today about what individuals' rights are, what policemen's rights are, so people will know how to better conduct themselves uh, in these situations. Um, but does most of these things, do most of them fall under the Fourth Amendment when, it, you know, when we talk about search and seizure in that process? Absolutely, for the most part. Uh, the Fourth Amendment reads that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers against unreasonable searches and seizures should not be violated. Um, and, and that's the important crux of what we're talking about. It's a very fundamental constitutional principle that every legal scholar, police officer, law enforcement court knows about. Uh, unfortunately, so many people don't appreciate what that means and what the, that entitles them to be protected under the law. So one word in there that, that caught my ear was unreasonable searches and seizures. Um, how does something rise to that level of being unreasonable? Well, it really goes into the, that, that secret phrase of what is uh, gives an officer probable cause, what that means. 
there's all types of probable causes. Uh, there's probable cause if a police officer or a law enforcement officer uh, witnesses something in your car or something you're doing. Uh, there's probable cause that exists if they suspect that there's a commission of a, a crime that's ongoing. Uh, and it's actually the reasonable person standard that's applied here. What's reasonable at that point? That gives law enforcement officers a long latitude to be able to decide uh, whether or not they had reasonable cause. But there are certain things that they still do not have cause to do so without giving consent. For example, uh, searching in your glove compartment or searching mm. in your trunk, uh, getting out of your car and, and, and giving them permission to do so. Without a warrant, they can't do so unless one consents to such search. Okay, so they have to consent to it beforehand. Okay. Um, Professor Gershon, do you have any thoughts on whether or not you think people have general knowledge of how to interact with the police when they get pulled over? Uh, I don't. And I think, you know, for... Um, it's important that um, that we we think about it. One thing that I want to say is, you know, we all should remember that just because you can do something as a matter of right doesn't always mean you should do it. Uh, so, you know, when in doubt, if you're not being threatened, I do think cooperation is probably better, even if maybe uh, the search shouldn't have taken to begin with. Uh, but that being said, we all ought to know our rights. It's interesting, you know, a lot of people understand the second amendment and every, every word in it, but don't really know anything about the fourth amendment. And it's just as important, if not more important. So, um, Jody, do you think that this idea of compliance and just, you know, cooperating is more suggested than anything else? Like, like professor Gershon said, just because you have a right to say, no, you can't search my, my car doesn't mean that you should exercise that right. So how, how do, how do citizens find that balance between exercising what they know, um, are there rights as opposed to just complying and being cooperative? Well, I think the professor is exactly right. Uh, one thing that we do when we teach students how to interact with police is that we always remind them, particularly college kids, that 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning is not a time in which you want to come into a philosophical legal argument about what your rights are on the side mm -hmm. of the road in the middle of the night when you just left a party or a club, particularly if you have been drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's not the time for those things. The goal of, of the, the person who is being stopped and the goal of the law enforcement officer remains to get home safely. Mm -hmm. And anything that triggers the unknown associated with that uh, can create a heightened situation in which both parties probably are wrong, but more than likely it's the, the citizen at that time who would be more in the wrong. So I think that when it comes to complying, if an officer asks you for your license, your insurance, even ask for small questions like where are you coming from, which is a normal question that you actually don't have to answer. Mm. But nevertheless, when you become combative, uh, you have to put yourself in their shoes, uh, particularly in, in light of uh, recent events. There's a heightened scrutiny. Uh, why is this person not complying? Because generally uh, the law enforcement mentality is if you don't have anything to hide, you want to cooperate, we're here to protect you and get home safely. But at the same time, uh, there are a valid concern in communities, particularly poor communities of color, that – uh, when I give you too much access, you find some reason to detain me. Something goes wrong. Mm -hmm. So I would never author, uh, suggest that anyone should volunteer let someone search their vehicle, whether they have something there or not. Without standing, if I've not broken the law, but I certainly would, would beg people to comply to the extent possible because, again, the end result is you want to be home safe with your families. 
Yeah, I saw a, a news report recently when uh, a, a sheriff was being interviewed and he was saying that he's just as afraid walking up to the car as the individual is afraid of the police walking to their window. So it, it really is a scary situation, especially for police officers, because you don't know what's coming. Uh, you don't know who you're walking up to. So I understand that idea of putting yourself in the police officer's shoes and being a little more, uh, I guess, understanding, you know, about both roles. Uh, 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to give us a call this morning. Uh, if you want to share your experiences uh, with police officers, if you've been pulled over, um, were you compliant? How was the situation? If you have any questions about your rights uh, when it comes to being uh, pulled over during a traffic stop, uh, during uh, detainment, if you have any questions or comments about that, 877-MPB-RING is the number. That's 877-672-7464 or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, so uh, we mentioned the idea of a police officer needing a warrant to search the car. Um, so they don't, probable cause is important here. So they have to say, I'm searching your car because this reason I, I smell alcohol or I smell some kind of drug. They have to state that this is the reason I'm searching your, your car or just say, get out, I'm about to search your car. Yeah, there, there are exceptions to the warrant, and I think that's what you're talking about there. Yeah. Uh, there are six exceptions that come to mind. Uh, there's a search incident to a lawful arrest, which you are deciding to arrest someone at that point because you do see marijuana or the, you do suspect that they have broken the law and you're charging them. At that point, there can be a catalog and search of your car. Uh, there's a second exception is the indigent circumstances exception where a police officer can enter your home in order to prevent uh, physical harm to someone else. We see that oftentimes with domestic abuse cases mm-hmm. where officers come into a home or something's occurred and they don't have a search warrant. Uh, the automobile exception, the third one we've talked about already, which is probable, probable cause to believe that the automobile contains criminal activity. Okay. Uh, if someone supposedly uh, is reported to have robbed a store and hopped in the car and takes off mm-hmm. and their car is reported, the police officer stop you. They can search that car looking for a gun or the contents of the alleged robbery. So there are there are some exceptions. The most common one we hear about is the plain view uh, exception. That is the smelling or the seeing of marijuana, whether it be seeds or an open container, alcohol, which allows uh, officers the right to actually detain you and then subsequently look in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, we have a call. It's not quite ready yet. Um, what if a person feels that he or she has been pulled over uh, because of race uh, or ethnicity or something like that? Uh, I guess many would consider it racial profiling. Well, we have to be honest. That That's happened. We know that happens. We know it happens in this country. Uh, unfortunately, but that in itself does not give you a right to become volatile or disrespectful to the police. Uh, there's proper methods to deal with that. Um, one of the primary methods you can do is uh, report that officer's conduct to that uh, authority, whether it be a police department or sheriff's department. Uh, you also can report that same conduct to uh, public integrity divisions. Uh, you can make federal complaints against departments that you think are primarily targeting you for whatever reason. But I think the mixture is is that there's a certain distrust that's, that's often there between citizens and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And that mistrust makes you assume that every reason that they're stopping you is, a, is, a, is an invalid reason. And there are tons of valid reasons, um, whether it's a brake light being out, an inspection sticker, an illegal turn. Uh, there are traffic violations that we all break on a regular basis. And th- but that does not mean that certain people, by virtue of how they look in the car, what they're wearing, uh, the car they're driving, are not stopped, which we know routinely happens. 
Do you think the departments take uh, accusations of racial profiling seriously? I mean, do they do um, strong investigations against the department if they get so many complaints? You know, it's it's different for different offices. We know several police departments across the uh, country and across the state do focus on implicit bias tests, internally training to make sure that they're not uh, stopping one group more than another. Mm-hmm. Uh, that data now is, is more readily available so we can determine who is being stopped, who is being ticketed, and why. Uh, that's important that on that ticket when you see uh, gender and you see race to determine what's happening because the statistics really support who you're targeting and why. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we also know that, unfortunately, uh, a lot of high-crime neighborhoods uh, can disproportionately be uh, larger a percentage of one ethnicity. And in those neighborhoods, you can see more stops because more crime happens there. Mm-hmm. All right, we have some calls to get to. We're going first to, I believe it's Roman in Mississippi who has a question. Good morning. Morning. Hey, what uh, do you have for us? Yeah, uh, well, uh, my question was actually about uh, the same thing that uh, you kind of answered already, uh, but I was kind of scared when I got pulled over by a police officer for uh, violating, uh, well, the the, the two right lanes were blocked, and I had to use the left lane and pass, and the police officer was right behind, and he pulled me over, and he gave me a ticket for, you know, I just passed a slow-moving vehicle, which, which shouldn't have been there. And uh, there was uh, lane restrictions for trucks, and I just used the lane for a few hundred uh, yards just to pass it, and, uh, you know, and he pulled me over, and he searched my truck, and I was kind of... I'm sure because he asked me a couple of times, do you mind? Well, he first asked me if I had anything illegal, and I said no. And he then uh, said, uh, do you mind if I search your truck? And I said, well, be my guest. But I just wasn't sure if he had the right the right to do that. And he, he didn't have anything that would uh, say that I was drunk or it was 9 o'clock in the morning. It was, you know, pretty early. No reason for, for him to search my truck, and he just did. And, uh, you know, that kind of uh, gives me a strange feeling that he, he had something against me being an immigrant or, you know, he was really behaving uh, impolitely, to, to say it mildly. Mm. And uh, I had no clue if I could uh, say, well, if you have a warrant, go ahead, be my guest, but I just wasn't quite sure. Because I've been told that uh, being, uh, you know, because pretty much the track is my home in a way. And, uh, you know, I know that he, uh, the police can't come to your home without a warrant. But uh, he just, uh, you know, searched my truck, didn't find anything, and then, uh, you know. Well, thank you for your call. I think it's really important to acknowledge that what you felt is what many people feel which is that they have to say yes. I mean, the way you describe the officer, mm-hmm. he asked you the question, do you mind? That almost seems like it's a suggestion. Mm-hmm. And there are certain ways that those questions are asked that make you feel somewhat uh, comfortable, but you rightfully can and also always should generally say, no, I do not feel comfortable. You are not authorized to search my vehicle without a warrant. Now, in some instances, um, we've heard of stories where um, officers would tell people, okay, well, you stay right here. I'm going to call a police dog and a canine unit to walk around your vehicle. And if they uh, get a scent that there might be marijuana in your vehicle, that would give me probable cause. There are a lot of tactics that can play both ways, but in your instance and in all instances, 
uh, you certainly shouldn't feel like you have to oblige, particularly uh, in your instance, you're just a lawful citizen who's trying to go to and fro, and you shouldn't feel harassed or discriminated against uh, because you feel like you have to adhere to a search. And see, I would be afraid to say, no, you can't, because that, that almost feels like um, uh, an admission of guilt. If you say, no, you can't, because it feels like, okay, well, well, maybe you have something to hide. So I, I, I guess that you should just use judgment on when you feel like you should exercise those rights and say no, as opposed to just being cooperative. Yeah, you, you often can ask for additional officers to be there. Uh, there's a reason we always suggest that people, whenever possible, pull over in a lighted place convenience store, mm-hmm. somewhere that's not like on the side of a dark road, but you have to be careful that might not be available. But I, I too feel the same way. The last time I was stopped, um, the officer had a gun, draw, his hand on his holster uh, as he walked to my vehicle and another officer came behind him. Mm-hmm. And I'm dressed to go to work. I think I was here at the court that day. I had the you know suit and tie on. And I felt what I think many of us feel. I felt afraid. I felt like, okay, do I want to run? All these different emotions that you just feel like because He's holding a gun, and, and you, you mm. see this stuff on TV all the time, and there's certain uh, inherent things that are kind of built into you. Now, here I am, a civil rights lawyer. Mm. I know my rights. But at the same time, when I see his gun, his hand on his gun, I'm thinking I haven't done anything wrong. I'm like, well, it's like fight or flight almost. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that are built in us over so many things we see in the TV and things that we see happen throughout this country that make us very sensitive to these to these issues. But it is important to remember that the vast majority of law enforcement officers are uh, very hardworking people who just want to help protect us and also want to go back home to their families as well. All right, we need to take our first break. When we get back, we have Mike and Richard to get to in Wiggins and Maven. So if you hold on just for a second, we'll get to you after the break. And we have a couple lines open if you want to join the conversation. This morning we're talking about your rights as a driver during traffic stops and policemen's rights as well. Well, if you have any comments or questions about your rights, have you ever been pulled over? You want to tell us what that experience was like? We'll also talk about what your rights are if you get detained. And later in the show, we'll talk about body cameras and if you can record incidents of police on your cell phone. 877-MPB-RING is the number to join the conversation. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent in studio with... 
Jody Owens, managing attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center in Jackson, and Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law is on the line. This morning we're talking about your rights as a driver and a citizen during traffic stops and policemen's rights as well. Do police need a reason to search a car during a traffic stop or your home? If you're detained, what are your rights then? And we'll also talk about body cameras a little later in the show. 877-MPB-RING is the number to join the show. We're going to go back to the phones now. Richard is in Mabin. Good morning, Richard. What do you have for us? Good morning. Hey. Uh, look, I know I'm old, okay? And uh, when I learned how to drive, the thing was that you switched off your car, got out of the car, because you were still in flight as long as you were in the car. And uh, the first uh, few years ago, I had a pullover, uh, no big deal. Uh, but the officer walked up with his hand on the gun, and when I got out of the car, he got rather angry and wanted me to get back in the car and put my hands on the steering wheel and this sort of stuff. And I realize they got tough jobs, but I think they need to do a better job of educating the public on how to behave. That's a very good point. I think so many people don't know exactly what to do and what their rights are. So let's go down a specific list of kind of like what your rights are. Um, the most common one that's discussed is you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you. Uh, you can pass your license and your registration. You still have to comply, but you have a, remite, a, a right not to have to engage in conversation. Uh, a lot of people don't know you have a right to refuse to field sobriety test. So in response to blowing in uh, the breathalyzer or walking in a straight line, you have a right to refuse that and ask to be taken to a police station and take different types of tests. But it's important that people know if you do refuse those tests under Mississippi law, uh, you will be deemed impaired if you refuse all sobriety tests and still will be given a ticket as driving under the influence. Um, we've already discussed you have a right to refuse your vehicle um, to not be searched. Uh, what's important to the example that you gave, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate, and I'm, I'm speaking from a very unique perspective. Um, I'm, I'm speaking from a civil rights perspective, but I'm always also speaking from that of, of a black man um, who has been taught uh, from the beginning of time to treat police officers a certain way and make sure that you're not threatening. Um, you know, always have your hands on the steering wheel where people can see them. Uh, make sure your vehicle is off. Now, I actually made the mistake you made at one point in time, Richard, and I have out of my vehicle, and this was actually my own driveway uh, because I was telling the officer I actually lived in my, in my driveway, and this is, I guess, four or five years ago. And he immediately hopped out, hand on gun, get back in your car right now, because he perceived me as a threat. Uh, now, I thought at that point in time he had ran my tag and realized I was in my own subdivision in my own driveway. Uh, but I immediately hopped back in my vehicle and waited for him to come there. Mm. And uh, he eventually said, you live here? I said, yes, sir. And that was the end of it. But it's important to know that you know, anything you do that, that's threatening to an officer uh, creates a heightened circumstance that you don't want to be involved with. And it's also important that we say um, you have the right to record interactions with the police, whether it be with a cell phone, um, some other recording device, and that's regardless of your immigrant or citizenship status. You have a right to put it on recording, but also note that those type of things create heightened circumstances, so you want to be as respectful as possible. Yeah, I see it? that all the time. Yeah. You, you see people recording with their cell phones and you'll see the officer coming toward them saying, put it away, you know, and I've, I've seen arguments. The person's like, well, I have a right to do it, you know. Um, well, you, ha you have a right to do it as long as you're not impeding an ongoing investigation uh, in any form. 
uh, just recently the uh, Rankin County Sheriff's uh, Department uh, last year develop a policy of how to interact with citizens who are using recording devices. Mm -hmm. So this is a very new thing, that use of cell phones uh, that we're seeing that make it to YouTube and Facebook live streaming. Um, that a lot, of, a lot of officers don't have the policies. A lot of departments don't have the policies or training on what they can do. Of course, you can't be right in their face with the camera. Right. I mean, you got to be away <laughs> somewhere respectful. But it's a valuable tool, I think, of of making sure the situation uh, can be held accountable if something does go wrong. And and you think that's also? Do you think that's also the reason for uh, body cameras now on policemen? So there will be footage or you know documentation of this is what happened. Well, you know, body cams are an important part of this conversation, uh, but there are a lot of complications with that. You know, who, who pays for the cameras, uh, whether you get federal funds or not, and also keeping the data, does it come on when it cuts off, right. when you record it. Uh, what, I was actually at the NAACP's national conference a few weeks ago, and the new thing I think is really appropriate that will actually save a lot of lives are gun cams. Mm. When your gun is drawn out, the holster starts recording what you point and what you see. Uh, I think that's something that we're not talking about enough. Wow. And that can be a huge saver of lives and what we recently are seeing, which is a lot of police uh, shootings. Wow. I hadn't even heard about that. Yeah, that would be interesting. I wonder how expensive it is. Um, okay. A lot of calls to get to. Mike is in Wiggins. Good morning, Mike. Hello. Hey. Yes. Um, I don't understand a lot of people who are calling in here. I really don't. All you have to do is do exactly what the officer tells you to do. And I've had guns pulled on me before, too. And I did exactly what I was told to do. And I'm still alive. Okay. Well, well thank you for your call, Mike. I think that uh, what we've seen, unfortunately, is that everyone doesn't have your same experience for, well, for different you reasons. Think about the Philando Castile, the, the most recent uh, situation that made national news. Uh, to my understanding, and I mean, it was very disturbing to see this on Facebook Live. His girlfriend caught the aftermath of it. But uh, to my understanding of the case, he got they got pulled over the and he told the police, I have a weapon in my vehicle. And then, um, you know, shortly thereafter, he was shot. Yeah, he specifically acknowledged that and the officer doesn't dispute that he said that I have a weapon, but I also have um, the proper identification to have that weapon. Mm -hmm. And it, it didn't work out well for him. And, you know, if we're being honest, which I appreciate having a forum, we can be honest, uh, those type of things in this country are prim primarily have happened with uh, brown, and, brown and black people. And so those communities, whether it be the militarization of police forces, they look at law enforcement differently and they're, and they're threatened by them. But I think you're right. Uh, as the caller said, your goal is to do exactly what you're told. But if you feel like that you're being told or approached unfairly or unjustly, if you feel, feel like that you're being disrespected and there's no way you can win, um, then it's a different conversation from you than perhaps the conversation that some people have when they interact with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. Professor Gershon, you have mm -hmm. any additional thoughts? I was going to say that uh, it seems to me, too, that one thing the police could do is go back to more neighborhood policing because – in communities that are suspicious of the militarization of police, I think they have a right to be. But, you know, what happened in Missouri was really a basis of a primarily white police force, um, you know, in a black neighborhood. In the old days, it would be people knew the police officer in their neighborhood. They were there to help. And I think to a return to that, the idea that a police officer is actually somebody who is a service person who's there to help the community, but who also knows the people in the community would be really, really helpful. Yeah. yeah and I couldn't agree more. And I think that. You know, if, if we're really being honest about this this uh, this issue, uh, we got it wrong. We can just focus on Mississippi. Uh, j just four years ago in Mississippi, 
had the uh, second largest per capita incarceration rate in the country. And what that means is that we were incarcerating more than 48 uh, states. And it's not because Mississippians committed more crimes. It's because we had an over-reliance on arresting people. And, and a lot of those issues, I think that, as, as the dean says, is, is larger because people don't know the officers and the community policing in the way that we did. And you have people being arrested in large numbers. And in the criminal justice system, criminal justice system, it's not really just. Um, we sue, in my office, we sue prisons. We sue Walnut Grove. We are currently litigating against East Mississippi Correctional Facility. And, and half the people in MDOC's custody are serving, you know, 20 and 30 years for property and drug crimes that they really felt were unjust and even the sentencing's unjust. So when you think about a stop, uh, if even if you're a law-abiding citizen, you come from a different purview sometimes than people whose lives have been changed by uh, law enforcement forever in a way that they thought was unfair or unjust. Hmm. All right, we're going back to the phones. Bill is in Batesville with a question. Good morning, Bill. What do you have for us? Hello. Hey. Hey, I have a question. Uh, I know maybe it's a little bit different, but uh, during the topic, but uh, I got a uh, speeding ticket and I wanted to to fight the ticket. Uh, and I've been told by many people that you don't fight the speeding ticket, just pay it. But I called the the, the court, uh, the, the the court, in order to find out what was their policy. And they basically, because I was always, I always thought if the police officer didn't show up, then you would automatically win the ticket. But I was told that the ticket is going to get rescheduled if the police officer can't show up. So no matter what, it is going to be an issue where the police officer is going to be there, and it's very unlikely for you to win. And so I just went ahead and paid the ticket because that's what my understanding was nowadays, even though I've always thought that you would automatically win a ticket if, for instance, in the case the police officer didn't show up or something like that, that you would automatically win. I'm just going to hang up and uh, listen. No, no that, that's a great question. I, I know a lot of people are constantly dealing with tickets and, and fines and things of that nature, and they can be very expensive. Uh, so people rightfully want to know what the options are when they get a ticket, particularly as it pertains to speed traps. There are a lot of speed traps where you, uh, the speed will drop 10 or 15 miles per hour in relatively short distance, 30 seconds to a minute, Yes. And you find yourself, <laughs> and it's happened to more people uh, than we all know. So great, great so question, So that's what it's called, a speed trap. <laughs> I never knew. <laughs> it, it, it's a speed trap. And, and as the dean said, in, in Ferguson, uh, we realized that an entire law enforcement agency uh, was, was paying its budget on over uh, stopping people and giving them tickets. And, and that's another issue. But to answer Bill's question specifically, uh, there's several things you can do. There are a lot of organizations out there that will allow you to go to a safe driving class. That might be a weekend where you actually uh, then the ticket will be remanded to file. So you you do have to pay to go to the class, but it's generally not as much as the ticket itself. And as far as officers showing and the hearing being rescheduled, well, that, that's something that people call on to. Uh, you know, it's very difficult to go to court and then the same officer still working outside and, and, and doing his job or her job. And then people don't show up. So they will reschedule it. But they're very difficult to get out of these days. Um, they're very important, too. Um, that, that people realize that uh, there are a lot of traffic violations and fatalities due to people texting and not being attentive to speed limits. Mm. We know if cars are going slower, the less accidents happen and less fatalities happen. So it, it's certainly a public safety issue, and I would advise people just to do their best to actually know where they're driving 
Uh, you know, there used to be that thing that people would say, you can always go five miles over speed limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but realistically, any amount of a speed limit is still speeding, and we want to obey traffic laws to the extent possible. Okay, so my 10 miles per hour is just all the way wrong. Okay, over the speed limit. <laughs> all right, thank you so much for your call, Bill. Uh, we need to take a quick break, Francois. I know you've been holding for a, a long time, but just hold on just a minute. We'll get to you right after this break. Lawrence and Andrew will get to you as well. So this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio, and we'll be back in just a moment. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guest today is Jody Owens, Managing Attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center in Jackson. Today we've been talking about your rights as a driver during traffic stops and policemen's rights as well. We have lots of calls to get to. We're going first to Francois in Tupelo, who's been waiting patiently. Thank you so much for joining us. What's your question? Good morning. Good morning. I was calling to ask, uh, well, I have an incident, and that's going to lead up to the question. I was driving, I had gotten off of work, it was around about 7 o'clock. And I got pulled over by the highway patrol. There is no light on this highway. So I pull over on a side road to get off the highway. And it's the old abandoned quarry road. And this is a city where when my father was back during the civil rights time, my father was assaulted by uh, a state trooper. For no reason, he broke his jaw with a flashlight. So just that they don't feel comfortable with my skin color, I don't feel comfortable with them on a dark road. So I let my window down, and uh, he wanted me to let it down further. And I told him I said, I have license, and I have my insurance. I can stick it through the window, and I can hear you. He becomes a little bit irate, and he really didn't have a reason to pull me over. So he said that the tent was too dark on my window. So my question is, did I have the right to refuse to let my window down further because I didn't feel comfortable. And I'm going to hang up and listen to your answer. Okay, thank you, Francois. First of all, thank you for the question. I think it's a great question. And you absolutely had the right to do what you did. Um, You know, when we go back to the thing we started the show talking about was reasonable. Now, you have to appreciate perspectives. The only obligation you have is to provide and comply to the officer's request, which is to provide your license and registration. You did that. But one of the things that most officers would tell you is that if you were smoking or marijuana was present in the car or you had been drinking, you want to make sure the officer doesn't smell your breath. 
And so there's a different position there. And that officer could think that you're trying to hide something. You comply to the extent possible. Frankly, if you let your window down a little bit and there's a smell of alcohol or marijuana in the car, they're still going to smell it. Um, but depending on how how little you let it down, I can see the officer becoming a lot irate. Now, Francois, I know you hung up, but I'm really interested to know what happened next. Did you get the ticket or did the officer let you go? But you complied to the extent that you had to, uh, but certainly you want to be reasonable with that. Um, the officer probably felt like you had something to hide or that you also uh, knew, knew, your, knew your rights. And that's also something frustrating. But hopefully you know, we're talking to you now, so you made it out okay, and you complied. All right, and you um, also had a story to tell since uh, he just called from Tupelo. It was interesting. We had a story out of Tupelo as well. Yeah, j- just yesterday, uh, a Tupelo grand jury uh, found a no indictment for the officer, um, Tyler Cook, in the fatal shooting of the uh, Antoine Ronnie Shumpert. And Mr. Shumpert was a 37-year-old man who was stopped just last month, or two months now, June 18th, in Tupelo, and when he was stopped, uh, for whatever reason, he he took off running, and he ran about five minutes away. And what we know happened after that was that he was uh, shot multiple times and killed, and also bitten by a canine officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different reports of what happened. Uh, what what we're hearing from one side, the family side, is that uh, he was not resisting. He couldn't resist because he was being bit by a dog. And what we're hearing from the uh, the, the the police force is that he was resisting, which is why he was shot and killed. Um, and I'm not making a position either way on that. But uh, it all began with this stop and him running. So your thoughts, because this isn't, this isn't the first time we've heard of someone running. So your thoughts on that uh, about fleeing? Well, well, the most important thing to realize, to realize here is that the tragic loss of life. Yes. That was avoidable in some form or facet. And that's at least our prayer. Um, we don't know why he was stopped, which is the concern, I think, from uh, the family has a lawyer. Um, why he was stopped, was he being targeted, what was his involvement with police officers, because a lot of people don't appreciate that if you have a, a been harassed or you've been targeted by law enforcement, um, you, you have a distrust with them. Uh, the records have reflected that there is there was not a pending warrant of any sort in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. So why he ran, we don't know. He had a passenger in the car with him that night. Uh, but it goes back to what the passenger, uh, what the previous caller said. You know, you, you don't want to give people a reason to overreact. You don't want to give people an opportunity to do this. Uh, Mr. Schumpert, uh ran away, and ultimately his life is lost. And we don't know what would have happened if he had stayed in the vehicle. Uh, there are some fights that there are better through the courts. There are some fights that are better from a police station. You don't want to do anything that creates where no one can fight for you. Because now Mr. Schumpert is deceased, and his family is fighting for his life. Lo- for his legacy at this point, uh, but we don't know what would have happened if he had stayed in the vehicle. And then that, that question comes up about this, uh, the, the word threat always comes up, you know, was he a threat if he was running away? I think about the case with Walter Scott, where uh, the police officer was videoed shooting him as he was running away. So I'm sure that's a question on many people's mind, which is how are you a threat if you're running away? Well, yeah, obviously not. Uh, there was never a weapon found, uh, at the time he was running away. Um, you know, the officer makes the decision to pursue him, which, you know, there are different things about that. There, there are tons of laws where uh, the police can uh, pursue somebody of their own foot or if they're in their vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, most recently here in Hines County, there was a lot of news a few months ago about uh, neighboring counties pursuing suspects into Hines County yeah. uh, for misdemeanor crimes 
which um, the, the pursuit itself is a very dangerous thing. Uh, it's dangerous in the car and it's dangerous on foot. We saw what happened here. Mm-hmm. No level of accountability. There was no body cameras there. There was no gun cameras. We just know a gun was discharged and a life was lost by something as ch- simple as a traffic stop. And it's worth noting that there were no drugs found in Mr. Sharper's vehicle. Uh, we don't know what happened. We don't know why. We don't know if there was any previous altercations or interactions with uh, Mr. Sharper and this officer. We just know he's gone. All right, lots of calls to get to. We're going to Andrew and Natchez. Good morning, Andrew. What do you have for us? Good morning. I have just a couple comments. I was wondering, does the guest believe that because of all this stuff that's going on, the police are going to be less likely to, um, you know, pull people over and that in will spill over in certain neighborhoods that people who are legitimately being victims of crime won't get um, help from the police. And the other question I have is, um, as far as, like you mentioned, the fellow in Tupelo running from the vehicle, um, and I think someone said, you know, that um, we, you know, basically saying that let them go if they run and i was saying that if you're a elderly lady in a house and that person's running i would think that you would want the police to track them down and you know we can't assume anything why this person's running and i would think i would be comfortable if they would you know track them down and i'll just hang up and listen thank you okay andrew thank you and that was a good question the first one about um you know police officers kind of you know feeling like they aren't trusted and it may be affecting their performance. Well, well you know, I, I think we see it on every part of life. We see what you call the overreacting, you know, the, the overreacting to if, you, if you're driving on the road and your car goes too far on what's called the rumble strip and you hear, you know, people pull too far, fast. A lot mm-hmm. of accidents happen that way. Uh, I think we're seeing it here uh, where a, a very powerful social movement has occurred in, in the Black Lives Matter movement. And then uh, to, the, to the opposite of that, you see um, the Blue Lives Matter movement as well. Uh, I think the officers will continue to do their jobs as they should. Uh, I think that they can't under-police, but they have to decide, are they stopping people for the right reasons? You know, are we finding reasons to stop people because their hat is backwards or because they're in a car with rims or because they look different and we don't know what they're doing or why they should be here? I mean, most people can agree with Mr. Schumpert, regardless of what happened, uh, fleeing a car shouldn't end the loss of your life. Uh, why wasn't a taser used? Why wasn't some other means used? Uh, why was daily force used? And we saw the same thing in Baton Rouge. And we saw four shots to a man who, who was selling CDs. And, and then subsequently we see, you know, there's a weapon involved and that's the issue. But uh, I think that they will continue doing their jobs. We won't see a change that they have to. That's what we want them to do their jobs. We just want them to do it so fairly and equitably in that way. Right. Hey, Jody, I just have a real quick question. Yes, Would you please talk a little bit about the difference between the police force and your rights with a, a you know, state or city or county police force and, say, the security guard at a, at a department store? Yeah, it's, it's really important. It also goes into something that we spend a lot of time on, which is student resource officers in schools. You know, uh, officers are sworn law enforcement officers. Uh, their ability to carry a, a firearm, um, their ability to have what's called the color of the law supporting their efforts. So when they stop you and ask you for your identification, which they can do, uh, you have a legal obligation uh, to uh, comply with what they're asking you to do. But at the same time, you also have the right to ask that individual, uh, who are you with? Are you a police officer? Or Let me see your badge. What's your badge number? There are things you can ask to protect yourself. 
um, and when we're in a say a department store and you're being stopped, there are certain things that can and cannot happen there. Uh, if someone's accused of shoplifting, uh, that person sometimes has the obligation or right to stop and detain someone, but they do not have all the rights of law enforcement officers to detain you, to question you, or even to arrest you. Uh, there's a huge difference between being arrested, being detained, and being questioned. And I think a lot of people need to appreciate the difference. If you're being arrested, uh, you, ha- you have to be read your Miranda rights. Uh, you have a right to be silent. Things say it can be used against you in the court of law. You have a right to counsel to be there. If, if you're being detained or just questioned, you can ask to leave. You can ask for a lawyer. You can ask, am I being arrested? Uh, if not, I would like to leave. But so many people feel like they can't leave. Um, they feel like they're being targeted. But there's a huge difference. If you're in the back of a police car, um, more likely you are in the process of being arrested. Uh, you have a right to remain silent. But if you're just being questioned on the side of the street, uh, you have, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this questioning officer. I'm going to leave unless I'm being detained. But a lot of people in that situation feel threatened because the officer could say, well, would you like to be arrested? Because yeah. that's a, let, let me need to talk about that for a second. It's a horrible experience to be arrested, whether you've perpetrated a crime allegedly or not, uh, to be handcuffed, to be transported, to be booked, to be fingerprint, to need a bail bondsman. All because, and that's oftentimes why so many people are afraid of the police because you see people who are arrested or held or detained unlawfully, unreasonably, and you feel this heightened sense of fear. Uh, it's a horrible experience. It's not just oftentimes that you'd be released and the ch- no charges are pressed. I mean, it's not something that just happens for two hours and you're gone. It's, it stays with you. If you've not spent time in a steel cage uh, where you're waiting on someone to tell you what to do and when you can go, whether it's even to use the bathroom or, or get something to eat, it's a life-changing experience. I think it's often uh, humanized so much because we see it on TV. But to go through that experience personally, it's something that changes you. And yeah. it's changed a lot of people in this country. I, I remember my own experience in high school. I was accused of stealing something from a store, and I didn't steal it because that's not my style. I actually had just placed the shirt in a different place in the store, and they grabbed me out of the store and took me to the back, and they were interrogating me, and it was in front of the band uh, at the high school I went to, and the, the police officers escorted me up the, the escalator like I was just this huge criminal, and I will never forget that. I mean, it was when I was in high school, but it was a horrible, horrible experience. More than a decade away. Go, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to try to squeeze in these calls. Lawrence is in Jackson. Lawrence, thank you so much for holding. What do you have for us? Yeah, am I audible? Yes. Okay. I was just going to ask a couple of comments, uh, pointers. One, I wanted to know if y'all had any episodes or any uh, anecdotes about asset forfeiture that I read about that's taking place all over the country where people are pulled over and asked, how much money are you carrying with you? And they don't know better, and they answer a big number, and then the police take that, and, you know, the people going from out of state don't have the resources to come back and fight the the case. Another point I wanted to make, your uh, host, Jody, just mentioned a minute ago about and said most of this stuff is happening to brown and black people. Well, that's a political statement, and it's far from accurate. I was just reading on the some website that has data on police killings, I think it's policekillings.org, I can't remember exactly, the exact percentage was 27% in the period, like one month after that rash of shootings that took place. Y'all just mentioned the names, I don't recall them. 27% were black. And uh, that, that, that leaves 80, what is, what is the number, 73? That leaves 73% 
who are not. So this Black Lives Matter and the perception in the mainstream media of it all happening to black people is not factually accurate whatsoever. So that needs to be looked up before anybody goes and makes a statement like he already did a moment ago. But like I said, I'd like to hear about asset forfeiture if y'all have any knowledge on that. Thank all right, you. Lawrence. Thank you for your call. Lawrence, thank you for your call. I know we're running out of time, and I'll address both issues quickly. It's interesting you asked about asset forfeiture because currently there's a task force that was signed into law by Governor Bryan in July that meets tomorrow at 1 o'clock at the state capitol, room 113, that has been convened to deal with asset forfeiture throughout the state of Mississippi. I know about the task force because Governor Bryan appointed uh, me as a member of that task force. So we'd love for you to come by. It's a room full of uh, law enforcement officers, district attorneys, uh, state representatives talking about access forfeiture and what happens and making sure that uh, people are not targeted because of what they had there. Uh, and to your second point, uh, not to quibble, but I, I will let you know that historically the data does support. There was a recent study uh, by Harvard just last last month that historically uh, law enforcement, uh, the, the data that I'm supporting has targeted those those poor communities of color. And if you look at the prison population in this country, it's direct, directly reflective of that. Uh, that, that that's undisputable. Uh, but I think you also are right that particularly communities that are targeted are communities of low socioeconomic uh, uh, status. So poor is worse than being anything in this country when we look at the criminal justice system. But you can't have a criminal justice system that reflects um, the number of brown and, and black people who are incarcerated unless they are being stopped, are being arrested, are being prosecuted more. Um, All right. Uh, we're going to go to Robert and Meridian. Good morning, Robert. What do you have for us? Good morning, folks. I'll be real quick. Uh, assume the worst. You're stopped. You're in your car. Everything that you think is going on, you've been profiled. It's your race. It's your this. It's your, it's your that. Now, what do you do? I'm saying compliance, total passivity. Uh, if they, Don't get out of the car if the officer hasn't told you to get out of the car. And if you're really just terrified, tell the officer, officer, I want to reach for my wallet, but I am terrified of you. Is there some way that you can call a backup officer to assist you? Cuff me, do whatever you have to do. I'm scared. My, my registration is in the glove compartment total complaint and this stop on the highway it is definitely not the time to be mm -hmm. announcing to somebody who's had training in the law what your rights are it, it, you you have a right but as this gentleman the guest pointed out earlier every incident isn't necessarily the time to to avail yourself of the, of the right you know if, if it's a volatile situation look at all the stuff that we're going through sometimes you just have to be smart enough not to keep doing the same thing that we've been doing over and over. It's a, it's a popular cliche these days, but we, we point out if doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, well, let's, you know, it's the worst possible scenario. What do I do now? You have to be totally passive and, and, and comply. These I couldn't agree more. I these, think you're absolutely right. And these I, officers I'm, are facing potential death. They don't know who you are. If I was a cop, I would, I'd be, I, who, even before all of these shootings, I'd be afraid. So comply, folks. Yeah, all right. Thank I, you, Robert. I think that's excellent points. Nothing more to say to that. Uh, I'm going to go home to my wife and three kids, and that's my goal. And I don't care what I know or what I think. Those fights I can fight later, but I'm going to comply to the extent possible. 
I will tell people you can get your ID and stuff ready before the officer comes there. You know what they're going to ask. Grab your ID as quickly as you can. It should be somewhere that's easily accessible and have it in your hand so you can prevent the need to reach anywhere or ask those questions if at all possible. All right, Professor Gershon, thank you for being on today. Jody, thank you so much for being on today. We appreciate it. Sam and George, please send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've run out of time and not going to get a chance to get to your call, so thank you for calling. Jonas Adams was our board operator, and Kevin Farrell was our call screener. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy is up next. 